Rochelle in North Carolina. I'm Nate in Colorado. And I'm James in London. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take on questions about life and faith. And the goal is to listen, to learn, and to help each other go further with God. And Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian renewal effort that offers resources and experience to help people become more like Jesus. We would really love to hear you come and get involved. So please join the conversation and email us your questions to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot Thank you. And if we select your question, you will receive a exclusive Renovare mug just to indicate that you are part of the conversation. That's the idea of a coffee mug. Anyway, let's begin the broadcast. Coffee mug or if I could just say tea mug. No. For our listeners in the United Kingdom. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about having tea lately because, y'all, my mind has gone so much over these past few weeks to the death of Her Majesty the Queen, Elizabeth II. And I was thinking about everything involved in that as I was looking at some of our questions. And we have so many people who ask us how to face the turmoil in the world and all the rottenness they see at various levels of society. And the fact that so many leaders appear to be folks who are not guided by any kind of faith. And then I have thought about Her Majesty. And James, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but since you are our resident Brit, (laughs) I really would like to hear from you a little bit. Um, I want us to reflect together because this is a big world event. And we have folks who who have indicated that they're interested in what all this means and how things fit together in terms of the faith of a very public person and what we can learn from that or what we should go away from. James, help. I mean, I've been reflecting on this as well, because it does the death of the Queen 70 years Mm. on the throne is a profound experience for us here. And I live very close to where the action has been during the funeral and so on. So I'm very caught up in it personally, but it really does impact us. And it certainly impacted me. Lots of things interested me. I've been observing that many people have said it's her duty, her sense of duty and loyalty and public service have been what's impacted them, but also her sense of permanence. You know, she's always been there. Most people in my country and therefore the world have not known anybody else in that job. And so that sense of continuity through how many presidents of the United States has she met, you know, all of them except one, I think. And, you know, that sense of permanence. But what I think is interesting is that people say how remarkable and what I think the subtext is how remarkable when it's such an impermanent world, when nothing is certain, nothing can be relied on. There's nothing you can be sure of. And what they're saying is, you know, 
isn't it amazing how we've been able to make up a fairy story around the idea that there's permanence when we all know there isn't any permanence. Whereas I feel I take a, a different approach, which is no, 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 this, the permanence of the queen has been a reflection that there are things that are permanent. There are there are forces at work. There are realities at play. There are things that are deeper than the life of an individual. And rather than her being a fantasy of permanence when the world isn't permanent, I think she is actually just a reminder to us that there are deeper things at work in the world, in the universe, the truth of God, the power of reality, the everlasting arms are underneath you know in christ all things hold together you know the generations there's a lovely verse in two chronicles two chronicles chapters at nine says something like all the kings of the earth sought the presence of solomon to hear his wisdom which god had put in his mind you know i just think that's such a lovely idea people were seeking out solomon and here you've got a queen that people are saying, you know, she was great because she advised me and was confidential and such a so on. There's a sense of permanence there. And it's reflected in the coronation service that we've just had. This service has this, the I think it's the moderator of the Scottish church, the Church of Scotland says, our gracious queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospels of God as the rule for the whole of life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. And the moderator then says, here is wisdom. Here is the royal law. These are the live, the oracles of God. And you get the sense there of this undergirding, foundational permanence. And I think it's a wonderful thing that those are the words that were used in the Queen's coronation when they presented in Scripture. It's interesting, isn't it? It reminds me, James, how... Our friend Alice Willard used to like to say, invisible things are real. Right. Just to bring to our mind that the, the fact that we can't see something does not mean that it's not a very real force. We can't see love. We tell ourselves we can see the hand of God, but no, looking upon things that are happening, we trace sort of God's fingerprints, right? We, we realize that things are gifts of grace, but reminds me of... Um, poem I learned as a child. Did, did you all ever read the poetry of Christina Rossetti? She, yeah. Beautiful poem called, I think it's called The Wind. Who has seen the wind? Neither you nor I. But when the trees bow down their heads, the wind is passing by. Okay. The Spirit of God is, is at work, right? And I think that one of the reasons that the queen's death is affecting so many of us so profoundly is because she was never pushy, it seems like. She didn't go around trying to win converts, and yet she did not hide the fact that she had real faith 
in God. Mm. James, I would love to know for you all living there, and I know that you used to serve as the chief executive of a, of a Christian organization in Great Britain, the British and Foreign Bible Society. Would you say that the Queen's faith was actually a real faith in God and not something that she put on just for show the way so many politicians do? Yeah. Well, she does a broadcast, or she did a broadcast every Christmas. She's often referred to her personal faith, but in the latter years, she spoke about it more and more and more. And she talked mm. about, I mean, very openly, you know, my personal faith in Jesus Christ. I have mm. found him a source of great comfort. And he is for all of us, you know, the example of Jesus Christ is one that we can follow and emulate of, of you know, commitment to others, service. I mean, it's it, very explicit, even, you know, n not just a generic God, but a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a lovely piece that I saw recently where they had taken little clips out of the Queen's Christmas broadcast on her personal faith. And maybe we can track that and put it in the show notes. It comes from All Souls Church in London, Langham Place, L-A-N, G-H-A-M, All Souls Church, Langham Place, on the faith of the Queen. Just a remarkable. And King Charles III has says, and I, I do too, I do too. He did a broadcast the day after the Queen passed and said, you know, this is the faith. We certainly, I mean, I, you know, I would believe they do. It's interesting to me how for a country that, that doesn't have separation of church and state, that your guys' expression of that, I think, is very different than what, you know, folks yeah. here that are kind of pushing for more of a melding of, of church and state have seemed to have a very different idea of what that actually would look like. Or is that, at least there, from my perspective, it seems like kind of a beautiful, uh, gentle expression. One thing occurred to me as you as you guys were talking, the other day I was on a walk and just thinking about how the world is changing, you know, it feels so rapidly. It's hard to keep keep your brain up. And I was thinking as a, you know, looking at nature, and animals and the trees and such and realizing that, you know, my grandchildren, there's no guarantee they're going to enjoy this, that this will be, at least this landscape will look the same for them. And I remember as a kid, you just would never think, you know, anything, anything like that. And and then it was just, it just hit me. And it, of course, we you know it, but it was the only thing we really can rely on. The only constant is God. And there's really nothing else we can hang our hats on that, that, that doesn't have the potential to, to change. So maybe these expressions, earthly expressions of longevity are helpful in that. I'm curious, the, the pageantry, like I don't, I mean, I just own it. I don't understand or know, you know, the importance of the royals and such in the way both of you guys do. The pageantry, the liturgy, how is that helpful for people? And is there kind of spiritual significance in that? Well, there's many answers, I think, on that. I think one of the most interesting things in the spiritual life is what you don't say as much as what you do say. It's <laughs> silence as well as you know, speaking or singing or whatever it is, the sound is. So, so much of this is about, I mean, the attraction of this is of orderly 
restraint. It's not the fact that you've got the pageantry of people who I know that they look as if they've got, you know, that they're in this sort of antiquated outfits at whichever, you know, period you're talking about. And they look so odd because they're so old style and centuries ago. We miss the point that they were carrying armaments, <laughs> you know, and weapons. But the point is that in their order, in their structure, in their regimented style, it's the restraint of those armaments. It's not, they're not being held in aggression. They are modeling restraint. In them. They're not firing them off into the sky indiscriminately. In the same way, liturgy is restraint. It's restraining the words you use. It's disciplining the words to be ordered. So the marching bands, which sort of seems so antiquated, but the language is orderly and restrained. And I mean, even if you look at the architecture, you know, if you see Westminster you know, Abbey and all these, so somebody once said it's the restraint of the architecture. <laughs> it's the simple lines. It's the holding back. And, 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 and it's even been said that these great architectural pieces like a cathedral, it's the arrangement of space. They're actually trying to contain the emptiness, these high ceilings, these vaulted spaces, they're adorned, but they're not as adorned as they might be. I mean, but they're not um, you know, mm-hmm. stuffing the place full of you know, gargoyles and this. It's the beauty of the simplicity and the structure. And take those three together, and they're all about restraining ourselves so that we're making space for the transcendent, for the encounter with God. Does that make any sense at all? It does. And mm-hmm. I, you always got a cool spin on things. I would have never thought that. It's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, especially to our American ears, right? Where <laughs> there's a great line from a movie, a movie from the 90s. It's not a spiritual movie. It's a, a romantic movie. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> it's called Sabrina. And at one point, this character named Linus Larrabee is asking for a picture to be made. And the photographer says, what scene do you want? And he said, all of them. And she answered, more isn't always better, Linus. Yeah. Sometimes it's just more. <laughs> Take that further. I think it's often just. Right. <laughs> More diminishing returns. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I quite like the idea of of this order and restraint and making space for the encounter with God. Whew. I'm gonna think on that one for a while. Thanks, James. Mm-hmm. I have a question that ties in a little bit with uh, institutional structures. And this one comes to us from Sheila, and it goes like this. How ought we respond to unfairness and injustice when it happens in Christian contexts, like churches or organizations, particularly when we're the victim of unfairness and injustice? Well, that one really hits, doesn't it? I mean, I think the very first thing that I'm compelled to say is that it it does. It happens. 
And <laughs> the fact that, that an organization is Christian or founded on Christian principles or full of folks who claim to be Christian doesn't mean that unfairness and injustice doesn't happen or never happens. So just acknowledging that does happen and it's never good, never right. The first thing I'd want to say to Sheila is, I'm so sorry. I want to be very careful to affirm the fact that someone is bothered by having been the recipient of unfairness. That's a very legitimate complaint. I think one of our responses needs to be lament that so often those of us who claim to be followers of Christ are unformed enough in our Christ-likeness that we have allowed these things to happen. We've done them ourselves. We've seen them done. I'm so sorry. I, I, I would love for our knee-jerk reaction to be repentance for anything part we've ever taken in it and lament that it's happened. And I do want to tell Sheila how grateful I am for her courage and sending in a question like that, because my guess is that's a raw wound. And I'm sorry. You must have had people come and ask you this. And hate as director of community, a life here at Renabare, I bet you bump into people who say, who share similar stories as this. I mean, the fact that Sheila's brought this up, would everybody who's hearing this podcast say they know someone who's been through that experience or been through it themselves? What's your experience of you know, hearing people on this? I almost expect it from people. Yeah. I mean, one, just institutions and structures by their kind of nature will dehumanize and, and people get caught up and, and, and are hurt. It, it stings more when it's religious institutions, mm -hmm. partially because I think we ex expect more out of them. And I think our expectation, I had a great quote the other day, unmanaged expectations is a premeditated resentment. Ooh, Ooh. not good. Unmanaged expectations is a premeditated resentment. Part of it is because we espouse to be, to be different. It's good to remember that Jesus came for the sick and, and that's us. And it's just when we dress it up and it's, you know, kind of baptize it, that it's, yeah. it's quite disgusting. And I wish we knew that. Like, I wish there was some humility, uh, humility in that. In, in terms of an answer, how, how should we respond? My knee jerk on that is the same as you would in any other context. And, and that's going to be different. Certainly, I think a good place to start is prayer and, you know, diligently praying for those who are offenders. And, and sometimes those prayers look like I want to want to pray. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I've found that idea of praying for enemies, certainly a lot of Psalms that help us with that. But I've found that the change that occurs is often within me, that my vision, as you begin to see people's hearts and the kind of pathetic nature of people who walk on others that shifts something for me doesn't necessarily fix anything but it's it's a start but you james got ideas here yeah that was great i think that's right it's about so much of it is about what this is revealing in us as well as 
the injustice that someone else has produced. I mean, it, it you know challenges us, doesn't it? Our identity, our significance, our security. Going back to the previous question, what are the underpinning certainties in life? You know, I am loved. I am accepted. You know, his arms are you know holding me. And all this is terribly important in prayer to just be called back to our identity in Christ. And and it pushes us. I mean, we all want to grow in our relationship and to become more like um, Jesus. We just don't want to have to go through the agonies that, that, that usually produce it. And these, you know, times of great pressure, yes, injustice. I mean, you know, we want to be standing justice we also want to be reflecting on what is this doing to me what is it calling forth out of me what is it uncovering in me and that takes a while i mean that can take a long while you know that can take a long while just peeling away the layers and 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 i'm with rochelle i'm very sorry to hear when this happens um martin luther king has this wonderful piece in his letter from Alabama, is it Birmingham Jail, 1963? And I find this hugely helpful. He says this, in any non-violent campaign, interesting, non-violence, there are four basic steps. One, the collection of the facts to determine whether injustice is happening. Because it's so easy with a Christian governing board, you put, is what Sheila, or a school or hospital or a bishop or a church or something. Yeah, just first of all, get the facts. And that often means asking other people, not just to confirm your position, but to actually get the facts, because it may be more complicated than you think. But I'm not saying injustice doesn't happen. I'm just saying, first of all, as Martin Luther King says, one, collection of the facts of determining whether injustice is happening. Two, negotiations. Interesting to think how he tried to negotiate. And often our hurts in these situations, we have tried to negotiate and the Mm -hmm. negotiation isn't doing anything. Three, self-purification which I'll just come back to in a second, and four, direct action, direct action. And he says, we have gone through all these steps in Birmingham. There can be no gainsaying of the fact that racial injustice engulfs this community. So this injustice engulfs this church or hospital or school, whatever. But then he says this, we were not unmindful of the difficulties involved. So we decided to go through a process of self-purification. We started having workshops on non-violence and repeatedly asked ourselves the question, are you able to accept the blows without retaliation? Are you able to endure the ordeals of jail? And really, this whole idea of self-purification is really spiritual formation. I think that's what he was talking about, because to be able to handle these situations of injustice appropriately, we're going to need to go through self-purification and get rid of all the toxins. And there's nothing that can be achieved through anger that can't be achieved more effectively without anger. <laughs> you see what I mean? You know, anything you can get 
in your rage, but say, we need more anger, more rage. Well, yes, maybe, but we need actually, it's much better if you can just drain that off you, because then you can do what Jesus did, which was to say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's just sweetly say in front of other people, in front of people in power, this is how things are and this is how things aren't, without raising our voice even, without having to lean forward, without, you know, we can just let the words of truth speak. And I find that a very Christ-like. And that's why it you know, is a long journey to drain off that and to be able to have to stand in Christ and say, this is yes and this is no. How does that sound? Oh, James, there's real wisdom to what you've said there. And I think in our in our world today, one thing I'm hearing that really concerns me is that there's a definite tendency toward the idea that the ends justify the means. Yes. You know, these folks are mean and bad and dishonest and and use really terrible mm. tactics to get what they want. So that means that we need to use even meaner and more dishonest right. tactics to get what we want. I, that's just, right. that's a move that in at work in society today. But what you're, what you're quoting right there from Dr. King is no, we've collected information and evidence. We know that injustice is occurring and now we need to tend to our hearts to make sure that we're up for it in being in this battle. I mean, the enemy of our souls wants us embattled for the sake of yes. the battle, for the sake of tearing one another down. And he'd like to take us all down. Yeah. I do have a couple of resource suggestions just as I'm thinking about about Sheila and others like her who have been subjected to injustice one is is a book by a woman who is a a therapist a trauma informed therapist her name name is Andy Kolber and her book is called Try Softer in the book Andy talks about the fact that in our lives there can be big t trauma as she calls it you know things that we would realize would be traumatic for anyone and then little t trauma but our bodies and our minds and our spirits can still carry the trauma in a way that we really need healing from. So I would recommend her book as a way to, to help you walk through gaining some healing for your spirit. Try Softer by Andy Kolber. Another resource that's actually brand new, but a young author named K.J. Ramsey has written a book called The Lord is My Courage. K.J. is also a trauma-informed therapist who herself suffers from a number of physical ailments and has had to learn to work as a disabled person in this world. And she and her husband have, have suffered what she would call spiritual abuse, traumatic instances of injustice within a church. And in reflecting on the 23rd Psalm, KJ has found real courage from the Good Shepherd, and she helps others in sharing her story of spiritual abuse. She's come to be someone who helps others with their dealing with spiritual abuse. So that's that's a resource you might want to check out. Both of those are books, I think, written from 
humble hearts who really have dedicated their lives now to helping folks who who have been through abusive situations. So they're both very much informed therapists whose real objective is to help. So maybe those resources could be helpful ones for Sheila and others like her. That's great. That's great. And I wasn't expecting to go there with trauma, but if I could just add a couple of others. I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, a book called Escaping the Maze of Spiritual Abuse, Creating Healthy Christian Cultures by Lisa Oakley, Escaping the Maze of Spiritual Abuse, which I think is a cracking book, if that's a very English word to use, a cracking book (laughs) on this subject. And I've just received, just recently, a project that I've been involved in, a copy of the Restoring Hope Bible, which is really a trauma healing Bible, which is an entire Bible with verses on trauma highlighted in messy highlight of N. It looks great, very beautifully done. And it's just a joy because if you're going through things like this, it just gives you the scriptures in a Bible and you can carry it around with you. It's the Restoring Hope Bible. Just to say one other thing, just as I finish on this topic, because I've encountered this quite a bit in my work. One of the things in these situations is that everybody tells their own story. They actually don't. They tell each other's stories. I was reminded by this by a Christian leader observing the conflict between Arabs and the Israelis. He said, both sides seem to tell each other's story. They each are telling, you know, they're saying, well, their side, of course, they believe this and are doing this and are feeling this and acting in this way. And I'm le- let me tell you their story. And then the mm. other side says, well, they're doing this. Whereas if we could just tell our own story, <laughs> it gives a lot more power. Let me just do an I statement. It's when you're in this position of a hospital, school or church or whatever. I'm a little more careful now about telling their story, tell my story. That might help. Like this line of, it doesn't fit in all contexts at all, but we we confess our own sins, not others. Right. There you <laughs> Interesting. go. Just a couple, just, just to kind of close this out. I love that self-purification. James, you shared that with me years ago. It's really helpful because this is what evil does. We yeah. become what we hate. And in trying right. to address an evil, it, it seeps its way in and corrodes us. Two last pieces on it. One is we fight for the rights of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not that we let ourselves be abused or lack boundaries, but it feels like the Jesus way to spend our energies and our voice advocating for others rather than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece I'd say is know when to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That leaving these institutions, you may just be following Jesus out the door. And sometimes staying can be quite destructive for others and for ourselves. Well, I have a question if we could have a go at this. I'm really interested in it because it's something I feel as well. This is from William, or is it Bill or Will? I don't know. A church near me has just built a new prayer labyrinth, a prayer labyrinth in their side 
garden and I have the desire to experience it. I have prayed and meditated using a labyrinth in the past, but I've always struggled keeping my mind on the Lord. What are some suggestions for how I can focus in, slow down, and use the labyrinth to stay deeply connected with God? And I think it's a great question because I've not always found these things easy myself. If at a retreat you're given the options of do this, do that, or do something else, and one of the options is to do a prayer labyrinth, I always pick the other option. (laughs) 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 And that's not a credit to me. It's just I just don't really know how to do it as well. And I always think (laughs) a bit like this. Please tell me how to do this, guys. Yeah, well, Nate, you're going to have to be the one to share with us here, because I think, James, if if you and I were both at a retreat and we were told (laughs) to do the labyrinth, it would be the blind leading the blind. (laughs) We'd both be in the other option. Right. I'm I'm not sure that I've ever used them to maybe once or twice have I felt like I was really able to enter in. So I've wondered if there's some secret that I'm missing. Yes. Do you know, Nate? Oh, there is. You, you realize you're entering a magical space. That <laughs> right. <don't> <laughs> is that right? I mean, that's the first thing. Let's yeah. just be honest. It's a vessel, just like any other yeah. spiritual practice. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with not getting into or not finding anything helpful in it. I, and for years, that was what I said is I just don't get it. I, don't, I mean, sure, you walk in a circle. I'm, I'm, however, however, I have had a number of very profound experiences walking a labyrinth. And I can just share just a couple things on it. Someone had mentioned to me some really helpful practice with it is as you're walking in, you're giving. And as you're walking out, you're receiving. And I've just found that really interesting that I focus my prayer as I walk in on what do, what do I need to give up or what what do I need to let go of? And you can even, you know, bring a symbol, put it in the center or linger in the center as you're letting go. And then in the return of receiving, what what would you have for me to take? And and I've had, I haven't moved to tears, yeah. uh, strangely enough, in a labyrinth. I think part of it is they're just slowing down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm slowing down you're walking slowly and you're being very intentional and i've had the experience to do it with a group a couple of times and there's something really special about i don't know i'm i'm praying for others i'm i'm seeing feel connected i don't quite know what it is but i have become the person that will choose that option even i don't know that i really understand it but it's a way to be present to god that's how i see it so good yeah that's wisdom and and you're right it's it is a practice, right? Yeah. We're practicing. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We, yes. we aren't perfect when we start. We're not going to be perfect when we end. But if we can do little things that over time will help us draw near to God, open us up to the work of the Spirit, anything we can do that will open our hearts a little bit, it's, it's worthwhile, right? Well, I really want to. Yeah? You want to do it? The one thing I would say I think could be really helpful is if this is outdoors, not inside. Because oh, then I have, have indoor ones? Yeah, I've seen indoor yeah. ones a couple of times. And I guess those can be useful in terms of slowing down. But slowing down outside where we're in 
a little more of God's world, being outdoors for a few minutes really helps me, centers me a little bit to, to be out where the wind blows and the flowers bloom and where a little more than indoors, what God wants done is done. I think that's especially helpful. That's helpful. Well, look, I'm up for it. So just to say, I want, I've always wanted to. So I promise that the next time I'm given that option at a retreat, I'm going to go for that option. (laughs) Right. I'll tell you how it goes. The three of us. Next time we're together. Yeah. Let's let's do, yeah. Let's Let's do it. You're on. We won't look for magic. But we (laughs) will have have a good time together. We could get silly with this stuff. Right. Somehow it's this incantation. If we get everything right, then we've twisted God's arm to show up or some nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll guard our hearts and we'll do it together. Right. You bet. Amen. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, both of you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Friends in Formation. We're so grateful that you're here with us. And we would love for you to send us your questions. Please email us. Our email address is friends at renovare.org. That's the word friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. And remember, if we use your question on there, we'll be sending you one of our lovely coffee or tea mugs. And hopefully you'll think of us whenever you use it. Head over to renovare.org where you can find lots of good resources. Um, There's Nathan's Renovare podcast where he hosts wonderful conversations. There are printed resources for you to use. So much for you to engage with. As you go this week, remember, we're praying for you. We appreciate you. And we're grateful to have you along as we go deeper into our life with God.